0: In this house In this house in this house you're listening to Eddie B's horror show. i'm edward villanova author youtuber and the host of this damn fine podcast this is episode number 55 and today we're talking about a certain film that garnered viral acclaim about some kids and a house and some old cartoons and a weird voice or something and some stuff that disappears and. Uh, I mean, I guess that's about it. We're talking about Kyle Edward Ball's *Skinamarink*, The scariest movie ever made. Holy fuck, you guys. This movie is so scary. I literally shit out my entire spinal column watching it. It is easily the scariest movie of all time, guys. I'm super, super serial. And we're also gonna talk about some of the other times we were promised the scariest movie ever made. But first, it wouldn't be a proper episode unless I tell you about what I'm drinking. Last time when I had Violet here on the show, we were drinking Bumbu, which is a Caribbean rum. That's a, I mean, it's a real contender knocking Diplomatico out of the top spot as my favorite run of all time I need to try them side by side to be sure and I have some B- Diplomatico here just waiting to be part of that taste test but I don't have any Boo original because my local liquor store is sold out of this stuff the clerk told me that they can't keep it on the shelf it gets bought out so fast so I may have to hit up Specs or Total Wine to get more, one of those places that never run out of anything. But instead, I got a bottle of Boomboo XO. Now this stuff is a little bit pricier; it's about ten dollars more than the Boomboo original. And when I saw this, I thought, "Ooh, it's more expensive." And it comes in this classy-ass black bottle. This is gonna be even better. But I gotta say. I mean, it's not—not to me anyway. It's—it is nothing like Boom Boo original. It's everything I liked about Boom Boo: the sweet but not sicky sweet flavor, the incredible smoothness, the rich notes of brown sugar and pipe tobacco. Gone. No, the stuff. I mean, it doesn't even—it doesn't even taste a little bit like it. Um, I mean, it doesn't really even taste a whole lot like rum. It tastes more like a whiskey to me. It's harsher. It's not sweet, not even a little bit. But it's not bad. It's actually pretty good. If you're not expecting something reminiscent of a Boom Boo Original, it's pretty good. The quintessential pirate rum, <laughs> the Boom Boo Original. Now, the, uh, this uh, though, the Boom Boo XO, it tastes more like. Like a sipping whiskey. It still has the rich flavors, only these are more like coffee, leather, maybe a little uh, smokiness, but uh, not like, not the peaty smokiness like Scotch has, but like, um, more like a campfire. And, uh, you know, honestly, it is pretty good. It's just not what I was expecting. Uh, when I first tried it, I was like, oh, yeah. What the hell is this? This is not boom, boom. This is wrong. It's like expecting to take a long, cool drink of lemonade, and instead you get a big gulp of hot chicken soup. Like, it's really, like, really good chicken soup. But when you're expecting lemonade, it's just kind of a punch in the face. So it's good for sipping neat or on the rocks, and at $45 a bottle, I wouldn't usually want to like mix it with anything but it's actually really good uh in coffee so uh, if you like making irish coffee and i like mine without the sweet stuff no brown sugar or whipped cream for me but uh just boom boo xo and some black coffee i'm currently mixing it with black rifles tacti scotch dark roast which uh is a really good coffee by the way violet got me drinking this stuff and it is Absolutely fantastic. Now, I've been a Folgers guy for about 20 years, but I think I'm switching. But, uh, I mean, we're not here to talk about coffee, we're talking about liquor and horror. That's the recipe for a good ass time. So, uh, speaking of a recipe for a good ass time. If you have a good-ass time listening to this podcast, and you want to hear more, or you want to hear new podcasts every week instead of once or twice a month, I mean <clears throat> in a good month, like it's been a minute <laughs> since the last episode, let's be honest, please consider becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash Villanova. That's what helps me justify carving out the time for my writing to do this show. And for the most part, this is a one-man operation. Like, I do the research, I record the podcast, I do all the editing and the uploading. And sometimes I have a guest, and when I do, that's great because the guest contributes to the content. and it's not just me trying to be funny all by myself, but uh, you know, just yelling at the microphone, like it's Wilson from Castaway. It takes a lot of time uh, a lot longer than uh, the half hour to an hour and a half that you get as the end result every week or every week that I'm able so if you'll excuse this little bit of self advertisement I currently have zero patrons so you know I'll just go ahead and tell you that Um, I'll make you a promise right here and now if I get 20 patrons just just 20 any level because right now there's no extra content but there will be soon i'm working on it i promise and if i get just 20 patrons i will prioritize a new episode every monday no matter what plus a bonus patreon episode every week as well that's my promise you can take it to the bank because at that level that's just a $100 a month for me if everyone signs up at the $5 level, but that is enough incentive for me to break from my writing gigs long enough each week to make that happen. So, if you want that, if you like this show enough to want more of it, and on a regular schedule, and you have the 5 bucks a month to spare... Head on over to patreon.com slash Edward Villanova and show me some love. I would certainly appreciate it. Alright, folks. Enough of the self-promotion. Let's go ahead and get on get on into it. Skinamarink came out on IFC Midnight on January 13th, 2023. And on shutter on February 2nd it also had a very limited theatrical release and it had a very creepy mysterious trailer of weird things happening in a dark house some shots of kids walking around in in the dark a mysterious voice telling them to come upstairs and this unnerving voice that just keeps repeating house, in this house, this house, and you keep waiting to hear what it is that happens in this house but it never says anything else and it's also shot on what looks like a Betamax tape that got tumble dried and when I first saw the trailer it piqued my interest it looked like it was something special it looked like it was gonna be pretty scary And, you know, like they were keeping it super mysterious by not showing you very much other than the atmosphere. It wasn't long after that that the viral word of mouth marketing started. There were people on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and YouTube shorts who were telling everybody, if you are a horror fan, you need to go see this movie. But watch out because if you are not a hardened veteran of horror or if you have a weak heart, don't watch this because it is easily the scariest movie ever made. People said they'd never been scared so much by a horror movie before and that it's not like anything they've ever seen before in their lives. Now I've been watching horror movies for a long time, so I've said it before, Like since I was about 6 years old, I watch a horror movie every chance I get. I don't often have the time to sit down and watch an hour, 30 to 2 hour movie, but when I do, it's almost certainly going to be a horror movie. It's a rare occurrence that I actually feel intimidated by a horror movie trailer or the hype about a horror movie, but I'll be honest... I was a little scared about watching this movie. I had two opportunities to watch it that I passed up because I was like, "Mm, man, you know, I'm not sure I'm ready yet. Um, I'm just going to watch the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre again and and stare at Jessica Biel's incredible uh, acting, you know? In that scene where she's like crawling under the truck you know great some great acting in that scene but eventually I got up the guts to go ahead and do it and I said Eddie how can you take yourself seriously as a horror fan if you can't watch the scariest movie ever made so I Sat down I turned on shutter and I turned off the lights I cranked up the volume and I prepared to be scared and holy shit I have never been more disappointed in a movie in my entire life I got duped y'all you know? I, I fell for the hype and, uh, and for a while I thought you know so many people said they loved this movie and it was super scary to them the scariest movie they've ever seen in fact so, maybe it's not just for me. Maybe I just didn't get it. Maybe it just wasn't the right approach for my specific tastes. But today, I say nay. I'm here to tell you why it's not just about personal taste, but why this ac- this is actually a bad movie. Experimental or not, art house or not, this movie is objectively not good, and you're allowed to like it, I understand that you might like it. A lot, of, a lot of people say they like this movie. You can like a bad movie if you want. God knows I love several movies that are bad movies. Troll 2, one of the worst movies ever made. I love it. God help me. It's hilarious. Accidentally, but still, you're, so you're allowed to like bad movies. You like what you like but this movie is in fact a bad movie not a brilliant work of art and I'll tell you why but first let me give you an overview in case you haven't seen it or if you haven't even heard of it which is a very real possibility even in the horror community and I'll tell you a little bit about why I didn't like it and the very few things about it that I did like so to be perfectly honest most of the things I liked about Skinamarink are based on principle. I like that the director, Kyle Edward Ball, started out making short horror films on YouTube. And now he's made a successful feature film. I mean, I guess success is subjective here. It only grossed $2.1 million in the box office, which is pretty abysmal for Hollywood standards but when you consider that it was a limited showing in select cities only and shot on a micro budget of only fifteen hundred dollars that's pretty damn successful that's 14 I took a minute to do the math that's a hundred and forty thousand percent profit it's hard to say that's not successful so I And I like the idea of a film being shot in in an unconventional way. And I do appreciate the fact that this isn't intended to be your typical horror film, but rather a sort of abstract work of art. It's meant to be sort of like watching a nightmare, which in and of itself I think is a brilliant idea. And I get that sense at certain points um, that I was watching a nightmare. I, I like that concept where there seems to be no rhyme or reason to what's happening, it just is. And while I mostly found this film to be painfully boring and largely annoying as time went on, there were a few moments that really did get my heart pounding. Now, on to what I didn't like. But spoiler alert, this category is going to be much longer and in-depth than the last, because make no mistake, as if you possibly could at this point, I did not like this film. Now, onto what I didn't like about this film. I have never seen a film that you could describe as being somehow shot by accident until I watched Skinner Marink. If you told me that the director left this camera in his living room and went to bed and when he woke up in the morning discovered that his kids had been up all night playing with the camera and then forgot they had turned it on and left it recording as they did other things and then the director decided to upload the footage onto his computer so an AI editor could try to cut and splice scenes together to make some semblance of of a movie out of this accidentally shot footage I would say yes absolutely that is how this movie was made finally something that makes some motherfucking sense this movie happened by accident and was directed and edited by a poorly programmed AI yes I believe this 90% of this movie is an underexposed static shot of the wall or the floor corner of the room with old-timey public domain cartoons from the, the, like the 1920s playing in the background and absolutely nothing happening it's very rare that anything happens and when it does it's not in frame or it's barely in frame which is fucking maddening there is almost no dialogue in this film and when there is dialogue it is the most piss poor adr it sounds like if you've ever lived in an apartment with like paper thin walls and if your neighbors shout to each other um, from a different room and you can almost make out what's being said now imagine that if you were listening to your neighbors yell through the wall, but also you were listening to it over the phone. That's about the quality of the audible dialogue in this movie. They put captions on the screen so you know what's being said, and thank God for that, because if they didn't, there would just be no way of knowing what the hell anyone was saying. So if you haven't seen this movie, and you're interested, but don't want to sit through 100 minutes of bullshit, I'm going to go ahead and break this movie down for you, see if you can figure out in the very first scene what's probably going on, like I did. The first thing we get on screen is the title card, letting us know the year is 1995. Now, as an aside, I don't know why it's 1995, it very well could be any year. And the film quality and style of credits are more akin to, like, shitty indie movies from the 1970s, not the mid-90s. So, I don't know how old Kyle Edward Ball is. Maybe he thinks that this is what movies from the 90s looked like. I know sometimes Gen Z kids think of the 90s the way I'm an 80s kid. Uh, By the way, I the way that I think of the 70s like it was it was only 10 years before I was born But all the styles and stuff they feel like they're from ancient times like I don't know like maybe he knows it's 1970s style and just decided to make it filmed in that style and the setting is still 1995 for some other reason I don't know anyway, we get about eight minutes Eight minutes of nothing but static shots of like some Legos then a dark house and a kid sitting on the floor in a dark hallway. He opens a closet door. He gets some blankets down and starts walking toward a staircase. Now, mind you, we barely see this kid. We see him from behind sitting on the floor in the hallway. We don't see him get the blankets down. We get a weirdly... Tilted shot of blankets on the top shelf inside the closet getting pulled down by something or someone out of frame then we see the kids feet walking and uh, we see a dark banister and sounds of footsteps from this we can extrapolate that this kid he got blankets down he started walking downstairs Then there's a big clatter, followed by a child crying. Then more footsteps, the sounds of a commotion, car doors shutting, and a car speeding away. All of that takes about five minutes of runtime after eight minutes of nothing. So we are currently at 12 minutes in before anything has really happened. It's not super clear, but you can kind of figure out that the kid fell down the stairs. And the family woke up, and they took him to the hospital. Three more minutes of nothing. Just panning around the dark, empty house. Then the TV turns on. We watch static for about a minute. It turns off. More static shots of the house. Nothing going on. The house, according to the story, as far as I can tell, is empty at this point. I don't really know why we're looking around the house... When there are no characters in it. Anyway, after several more minutes, lights start coming on. 13 minutes in, we hear the dad calling someone on the phone. We don't see him. Uh, we see the ceiling. But we hear the dial tone. There's the a line ringing. And then the dad's voice telling someone that Kevin fell down the stairs. He says very monotone. So he's fine, but Kevin fell down the stairs and hit his head. No, they didn't even need to do stitches. Kaylee says he was sleepwalking. And then silence. And more shots of the dark house. I guess the phone call ended. Uh, Hear anything to really resolve the call, but sure, okay, I guess we're done with the phone call. Mm A dark hallway, and then a toilet flushes. Light comes on in the hallway, and a child's feet walk into frame. They stay there for about two minutes, then they walk away. Dad, Kevin says, off screen, then his feet walk back into frame. We get a shot of the corner of the ceiling, then a door frame, or maybe a window frame, and it disappears, but we can only see the very top of it, and then it disappears. And by appearing and disappearing, these are very rough jump cuts where it's a blank wall, then they stop recording, then they uh, they moved a door into uh, into frame the shot, uh, recorded a few seconds of the door frame being in the shot stopped the recording moved it out of frame and started recording again but yeah i mean you know they shot it for fifteen hundred dollars so i guess you, you get what you paid for right so we hear blinds being pulled out of frame then we get a shot of a blank wall with some blinds being pulled up in front of it and kevin says where did they go Pulled the blinds up, and there's just a wall on the other side of the window. So we're left to assume the doors and windows have disappeared. Kevin calls out, Dad, Dad, but no answer. He picks up the phone, but he only hears the disconnected tone, then more shots of the ceiling, the walls, the doorways, and nothing happening. Around the 20 minute mark of this film, we see Kevin's feet At the top, I'm sorry, at the foot of a bed, and he says, Can we sleep downstairs tonight? We assume this is Kaylee's bed, but we don't see her. The two presumably go downstairs where we get a shot of the corner of the TV screen, and uh, the TV turns on. And we start to hear old timey cartoons playing. Get used to that because it never fucking stops. After a few minutes, Kaylee says, I can't sleep with the lights on and we see lights turning off the light from the TV is the only thing illuminating the room the kids say they love each other and they say goodnight then we get a long shot of a dark doorway that almost seems like something might happen like we might see something come out of the darkness but no but we don't it's just a very long shot of, a, of like a dark, empty hallway. Then a bunch of nothing happens. And Kylie, uh, Kaylee eventually tells Kevin she thinks it's time to get up. And she's going upstairs to get some stuff. And then five minutes of static shots of hallways, doors, Legos, all over the fucking floor. And the sounds of cartoons and footsteps. And then the lights turn out. Then it's the light of the TV we see, and then crayons and paper and the sounds of drawing, and then Kevin and Kaylee's feet walking into the hallway where they try to turn on the lights, but apparently the lights don't work now. Then they walk back to the TV and we hear the scratching of crayons again. More static shots of the living room, several minutes of the TV screen showing cartoons, four minutes of a song being sung in the cartoon the song fades out and we hear Kaylee ask why is mom crying we don't hear the crying but Kaylee says that she is then she asks why has no one come yet and there's a bang from upstairs and the kids ask what the sound was so there's another bang some static shots of the house, the children's feet standing now, and they're on alert. This this moment uh, is at the 30-minute mark or so, 30 minutes into this film. And uh, this is where I went, thank the Lord, something creepy is finally happening. But boy, was I wrong. Um, we get about six more minutes of static shots of the house. Um, then... We hear the kids tell each other to be quiet. We hear some footsteps. The sound of someone snoring, who I guess is maybe their dad. Uh, a blanket or something over the TV. And then Kevin getting uh, getting up to go to the bathroom. And we see the toilet in the bathroom. And then it disappears sort of the same way the door frame did. By now, I mean, I'd forgotten about the sound, and was no longer tense. Like just five minutes of watching more random static shots of the house, and all that was <laughs> forgotten. Kaylee shines a how uh, shines a flashlight around the house. Uh, she the light falls on some toys, and then a doll stuck to the ceiling for some reason, and then Kaylee screams and drops the flashlight. I mean, it's shot like a jump scare. But honestly, it elicited no reaction from me whatsoever. I was just like, what the fuck just happened? And it turns out it was just Kevin coming back from the bathroom. He says he got scared and couldn't go. So they put a couple of buckets where the toilet used to be. And Kevin says, gross. And yes, I couldn't agree more. Gross. So. What else can we add to this movie? It's shitting in buckets. Why not? So we get about 10 more minutes of static. um, Or static shots of the house. Not just static. But static shots of the house. We see the cartoons. And we finally, at around the 40 minute mark, we get this spooky voice. During a long shot down a dark hallway. It says... Come upstairs. Except it's so garbled we can't really tell what is being said. Come upstairs. But fortunately, the captions let us know that it said, Come upstairs. And it's a good thing because otherwise I might just have thought someone burped in the other room. So, I remember watching this part and thinking, Damn, that should be scary. But... I'm not scared by it at all. This strange, mysterious voice out of nowhere. But what happens next honestly did make my heart pound. The camera follows Kaylee's perspective. It's like we're seeing through her eyes. She goes upstairs, enters her parents' darkened room, sees her dad sitting on the edge of the bed facing away from her. She says, Dad? Without turning around, dad says look under the bed slowly gets down close to the floor and peeks under the bed I was pumped I was primed for either a jump scare or some like terrifying revelation honestly what I was thinking it's gonna be her dad it's her dad's dead body like her real dad He's dead, he's under the bed, and the thing on the bed isn't really her dad. That's what I was expecting. I fucking knew that is what was going to happen, but instead, all we see is darkness. There's nothing under the bed, at least as far as we can see. So, she gets up and says, I can't see anything. She stands back up, and we see an arm pulling back the bed sheets, presumably her dad's arm. So she looks again under the bed and still nothing. She stands up and now her dad is gone and her mom is there sitting on the edge of the bed, facing away from her again. Then we get five minutes of Kaylee looking around the room and nothing happening. Mom says, I need you to close your eyes. Kaylee does, and we get a minute of black screen. We get about one minute of a black screen. No audio, (laughs) no visuals, just a minute of dead air. And she opens her eyes, and mom is gone. Two more minutes of an empty bedroom. Then we see the living room, and we hear mom's voice say, Kaylee, go back downstairs. Here's some indiscernible sound that the captions tell us is the sound of bones cracking. I mean, okay, if you say so, movie. Like, that's not what it sounded like to me, but whatevs. Like it doesn't make any sense, but sure, bones cracking, why not? That's a creepy thing to say the sound was, why not? Then for about 10 minutes, we see random static shots, again, Legos all over the damn floor cartoons on the TV, stuffed animals, the suggestion of Kevin playing, even though we don't see him or Kaylee at all, toys stuck to the ceiling, which we're seeing more and more of, and then finally, a weird voice telling Kevin to come to the basement get another POV shot. We see through Kevin's eyes as he walks down to the basement. We see Kaylee's feet and legs. It looks like she's probably laying down. And then a kind of scary but mostly random jump scare of Kaylee's face. But she has no eyes or mouth. And there's this weird like droning tone over it. It's not a scream. It's more like, I don't know what... uh, the sound of—if you've ever looked at a, like an old VHS tape that has um, a lot of static on it—sometimes um, if there's a shot with a lot of white in it, it'll make sort of a sound like this droning sound. That's sort of the sound that it makes. Yeah, so that's that's the sound we get. And then Kevin runs back to the living room. Although, again, we never see him. We see the ceiling and uh, we see the light from the TV, plus uh, his running footsteps approaching. Then we get eight minutes of super underexposed shots. If you thought it was too dark to see before, it's really too dark to see now. We see mostly just a black screen for eight minutes with some very vague outlines of Maybe a lamp, a doorway, I think, possibly the drapes, then cartoons. Then there's a thump sound, and a juice box falls into frame. And I guess maybe Kevin passed out? Like, that's the only thing I could figure they were trying to convey. Then the TV turns off, and it's more black screen. Then suddenly it's back on again. The TV's back on. We get to watch the same part of a cartoon three times on a loop where a rabbit makes itself disappear. Then we get about 11 minutes of random cartoons and shots of toys, then a stuffed dog on the floor, which disappears. Then Kevin picks up the juice box he, drops, he dropped before and drinks it. Shot of the floor, doorways, Legos, and the voice says, play Kevin I want to play then we hear cartoons and Legos wrestling so I guess Kevin is playing Legos with the demon that stole his sister's face I guess like I'm guessing here because I don't know what the fuck is going on in this movie but whatever so then four more minutes of static shots again three more loops of the rabbit disappearing in the cartoon Then we hear some heavy breathing for some reason, uh, a clicking sound that the captions tell us is the click of a utility knife. But again, like that's fucking news to me. I never would have guessed, but whatever. It just sounded like a click. Then the voice says, put the knife in your eye. Then we hear the sound Of, I guess, Kevin stabbing himself in the eye. And then we hear him crying. And then we get ten minutes of random shots of the dark interior of the house. Then the TV starts screaming. And, I mean, I know that sounds weird. I don't know how else to explain it. The TV starts screaming. And the screen goes white. Then we get three minutes of black screen and no audio and I didn't see this in the theater but I can only imagine some people thought the movie was over at this point I thought it was over and then I saw the scrubber still showed about 30 minutes left oh good I can't wait for 30 more minutes of whatever the fuck is going on here I don't know what this is Why is this a movie? This isn't a movie. This is random bullshit scenes that don't make any damn sense. We get 12 more minutes of this. Uh, This is more static shots of the kitchen counter and then the dark living room, the ceiling, the floor, the back of Kaylee's head for a second. Then finally, the sound of a phone off the hook. Kevin finds the flashlight and starts looking for the phone. He hangs up and he calls 911. The phone works now and a 911 operator picks up. Kevin tells him he cut himself and he feels sick. The operator says they'll send someone to help and just be brave and stay on the line and then we get four minutes of nothing. Then the phone turns into a toy phone and the creepy voice starts laughing. And then now all the toys are on the ceiling, and they really want us to take in uh, this shot because we get six minutes of it, and Kevin breathing, and shots of the toys on the ceiling. Then we get uh, the back and side of Kevin's head. Then we see some movement off to the side, uh, and Kevin asks, How did you do that? And the voice says, I can do anything. Kaylee didn't do as she was told. She wanted her mom and dad, so I took her mouth away. Come upstairs. And then we see through Kevin's eyes again, or I, i apparently cut the other one out. And as he walks upstairs with a flashlight... Um the light goes out and then it's dark and it's okay the voice says I'll protect you then a long time in darkness and silence uh, I didn't time this one but it was at least a couple minutes then the flashlight comes back on and the house is upside down Kevin is walking on the ceiling yeah I mean I'm as confused as you are. Kevin is walking on the ceiling now, but it's POV, so we don't actually see Kevin, so really they just turn the camera upside down. This is how you shoot a movie for $1,500 folks, riveting special effects. So we get seven minutes of a flashlight in the darkness along with some weird sounds that I'm sure are supposed to be something, but I sure as hell don't know what. Um, the, The captions are not helping us at this point. So, there's kind of a growling sound and some more heavy breathing, and then we jump cut to a flashlight turning on. It illuminates a giant pile of toys on the ceiling. Then we get a title card, 572 days. So, I guess now... 572 days have passed Kevin wandering around the dark house alone which is pretty terrible for a four-year-old to have to endure Um, I don't really know why this is happening but okay so then we hear the cartoons looping in the background and the camera slowly pans out over the course of about two more minutes And then we see that all the toys in the house are now up on the ceiling in a big pile in a dark corner. And then either the camera pans out enough for the pile of toys to fade into the distance down in a possibly long upside down hallway. Or they shrink into nothingness. It's kind of hard to tell what the shitty effect they used was meant to convey. But one way or another... This asshole entity, or demon, or whatever it is, has taken away all of Kevin's toys. After an excruciatingly long time, we finally fade into a shot of the dark bedroom with Kaylee facing away from the camera. She slowly fades out of existence. So now I guess the thing took Kevin's sister away completely, too. Seems like this thing's a real dickwad, since it likes torturing children for at least a year and a half. At this point, after five hundred and seventy-two fucking days, and take away, you know, it takes away all of their toys, all of his toys, and objects of comfort. Anyway, we get some shots of the TV, which is now silent, which is it's like just a bright white screen, and then an exterior shot of the house, which is now apparently in some pocket dimension or something it almost looks like the house is inside of a big empty windowless warehouse or something uh then we get several more minutes of kevin wandering around in the dark house with the flashlight and nothing is happening finally after a long ass time exactly how long i'm not sure but we see a pair of eyes in the dark Kevin shines the flashlight on them, and we see that the eyes belong to the toy phone. Then, in a jump cut, the eyes are suddenly looking at the camera, and the smile on his face gets bigger, and we're treated to a loud, shrill telephone ring. Ooh, look out, everybody! That was spoopy! Sudden, loud telephone ring. Then, darkness. And then we get an upside down shot of the stairs. We get a shot of the ceiling. And then the hallway. And then some old photos, but everyone's face is missing. And then a shot of something on the couch. I paused this screen for a long time trying to figure out what it was. And I'm still not sure. I really don't have any idea. It looks like maybe a shirt and pants. Draped over the couch with a big-ass stain on it. I'm not fucking sure. Maybe it was a blood-stained body laying over the couch. But I'm not sure of that either. I don't fucking know what we're looking at, but whatever. Then we get pictures of Kaylee with her head missing. Um, Then we get upside-down shots of the floor. And then suddenly, blood splatter. Then it's gone, then blood splatter, then it's gone, and then blood splatter, and then it's gone. Why three times? I don't know. Uh, Why did the rabbit disappear three times? I don't know. Blood splatter three times. I don't know. They do this, it happens three times in a row, and then it unhappens and happens again. Why? I don't fucking know. So, anyway. And then Kevin says, Mommy! And the lights go out. Then he says, Can we watch something happy? And I'm not sure if this is supposed to be a suggestion for the audience or what. Because I'm fucking done with this movie. I don't know what the fuck is going on. I'm watching this kid get tortured. For no reason. As far as I can tell. And... I just... I don't know. I don't really want to... I'd rather watch something happy at this point. And I mostly watch horror movies. Anyway. So then we get some long-ass shots of the dark. Um, possibly a shot of under the bed. Then you can sort of see a face in the darkness. And a voice says... Go sleep. Kevin asks this face and or voice... What's your name? doesn't answer. And then he asks again, What's your name? And it got me again, folks. I thought, okay, maybe we're finally going to learn something. Maybe this ghost or demon or god or whatever it is is finally going to give us some exposition. But no, that's the fucking end. The title card, the end... No end credits or anything, just the end, movie over, fuck you, thank you for the money, get out of my theater. So, as you may have guessed, I was a little annoyed by having wasted the last 100 minutes on this unscary non-movie, but I was curious enough after hearing so many glowing reviews for this Film, they call it, um, and I use the term very loosely, that I got online and I tried to see if anyone was offering any insight because if there was something brilliant about this film, I fucking missed it. Like, I don't... It's not... It's not out of the realm of possibility that I'm just a dumbass who missed the subtle story that drifted by when I was distracted by my cat licking his balls on the damn coffee table again. But what I discovered <laughs> was that back in 2010, the director of Skin and Rank, when I looked online to see, do a little research, the director of Skin and Rank, Kyle Edward Ball, made a short film called Heck. That is basically the exact same thing, only 28 minutes long, as opposed to 100 minutes long. So against my better judgment, I hopped on YouTube and I watched Heck. And honestly, just like 100 minutes was comedically too long for Skinnamarink, 28 minutes was way too long for Heck and I also didn't enjoy Heck either. But as vague as it was, there's at least something resembling a narrative. So a kid wakes up in Heck, in the movie Heck, a kid wakes up uh, in the night and his mom's TV is on, but she's either asleep uh, or not there. Or she's just not responding to him on screen uh, on screen text counts the passing of days in quote unquote unquote sleeps one sleep later two sleeps later five sleeps later and so on and so forth and this kid keeps calling out for his mom but she won't answer him so after several days of this instead of just Calling for her, he tells her he cleaned his room and he wants her to come see. But she doesn't. Then many days later, since being good didn't get her attention, he starts coloring on the rug and shouts to his mom, I'm coloring on the carpet! But still no answer. Then more days pass and he's just shouting to his mom that he hates her. And then if there's any question as to whether she's actually there or not, there's a static shot of a woman who I'm guessing is his mom sitting at the edge of his bed staring at him, but she doesn't say anything. Then more days pass, more calling for mom, more silence. Then he says, Mom, I'm sorry I got cancer. Then many more days like 18,000-something-sleeps later. And there's just an audio clip of the kid saying, I think we're in hell. And then the movie is over. So, yeah, you know, super uplifting. I, I love these films that are just sad for sadness' sake. And this story of a mother who starts ignoring her kid because he's dying of cancer told from the child's fucking perspective, like or like if we're supposed to take the ending line literally, this four-year-old kid died of cancer and went to hell. I mean, the movie is called Heck, after all. And what's more, like in Marink*, it's 90% shots of a dark house, usually a shot of the wall or the floor old-timey cartoons playing in the background nothing is ever properly in frame and it's a style I get that but it's annoying as hell because it's a movie that is zero percent in frame but anyway I digress in my opinion heck is better than cinema Marink because it actually did something as a film it made me feel something and that is the purpose of art What it made me feel was sad and depressed and like I really wanted to hug my kids and take them out for ice cream to forget the black sorrow that pervades our death-drenched existence which was not a fun experience I would not watch it again but it is at least a piece of art Skinnamarink, on the other hand, is basically the exact same thing, but they make the narrative much less clear and really they really pad out those long shots of nothing happening to get that 100-minute runtime. Why 100 minutes exactly? I have no fucking idea, because they wanted to, I guess. The difference between Heck and Skinnamarink are actually a pretty good example of why Skidemarink is an objectively bad film. Heck, while still filmed in the same annoying style where nothing is ever properly in frame and it has long lingering shots of a dark wall or a ceiling fan, it at least tells a story. Kid got sick with cancer, mom couldn't deal with watching him die slowly, And became distant. And like good art. It made me feel something. Even if that feeling was sad. Kinema Ring on the other hand. Does not tell a story. It tells. The story it solidly tells is. A kid falls down the stairs. And then nothing makes sense. It suggests. Only slightly more art house or not a film is supposed to tell a story or if it doesn't tell a story it should at least have a clear reason for existing have you ever seen the tv show off the air on adult swim it's mostly a collection of trippy videos from the internet with either no story or a nonsensical story And it clearly exists for stoners who are up late to watch psychedelic shit while they're tripping balls. And let me tell you, it's a lot of damn fun. (laughs) So even though it doesn't have a story, it has a clear purpose. Unclear meaning is one thing. Unclear purpose is another. Your piece of art, whether it's a film or a book, or a game or whatever, it is allowed to make people wonder what it means. That's even a positive thing under the right circumstances. When people wonder why you bothered making it, not a good sign. And it usually means you've gone overboard on ambiguity. You ambiguous too hard. The biggest hint as to what's actually going on is is in that first scene where we're told by way of a phone call that Kevin fell down the stairs. This is never mentioned again. So unless this scene exists for no reason, this is the director basically telling us that this is either Kevin's dream because he's in a coma, or maybe it's a brain damage hallucination or that Kevin is dead and the big empty house hell. Which begs the question, why would a four-year-old go to hell? Does everyone go to hell in this universe? Or is this four-year-old like toddler Hitler or something? Why is the four-year-old going to hell? I would like to know more about this universe. Not because I'm curious, but because I would like to know in what universe does a four year old just go to hell? So, while yes, there are some underlying themes of neglect and abuse, a broken home, excuse me, and the likelihood that this is either all supposed to be a coma dream or is the story about a little boy who died and went to hell. Or the face value solution that this voice is some kind of evil omnipotent entity that delights in torturing children in the case of all of the above my question is the same what was the fucking point it made me annoyed then bored and then depressed and I get the sense that Kyle Edward Ball made this wanting people to pour over it and take apart every scene and play solve the movie like people tend to do with really ambiguous films like these and i don't have a problem with that in the main heck i even think it's fun to do sometimes i i i that's exactly what I did with the Borgman episode. What is this movie about? What is this movie trying to say? So I do enjoy that. I understand the draw to something like that, but there's so little to work with in Skinamarink. Playing solve the movie plays out more like imagine your own movie. Here's a bunch of scenes where nothing happens and a bunch of ambiguous stuff happening, mostly off screen. Um, now, what do these scenes mean to you? What do you think is happening? I heard one reviewer online say something along, uh, along those lines. If you want to enjoy Marink, you have to stop asking what the film means and start asking what it means to you. And I'll be honest with you, I gotta say that it's not a movie. It's not meant to be a movie. What is it doing in a movie theater? It has framed itself as a movie, but it's not one. And I hear the I hear these pretentious people online saying things like, If you don't love Skidamarink, it's because you don't appreciate true art. But no one is saying what was so great about it other than that it's different it's not like other movies there's no effort to really defend that opinion there are just vague responses like don't watch the movie watch yourself watching the movie what like should i bring a mirror the movie is what you make of it Why can't it be something on its own, though? Why does it have to be what I make of it? Why can't it stand on its own two feet? Is this movie art house? Very yes. And that in and of itself isn't bad. But I have seen some art house films that are very unconventional, that that I liked. But I don't think that you can just film a bunch of pointless bullshit... Suggest a storyline, call it Art House, and then be above criticism. If you want to hear more theories about this movie, I'll put a couple links down in the show notes. Both from people who liked Skinnam and, and those who hated it. The YouTuber Matt Pat of Film Theory fame has a pretty good analysis of it, uh, I think at least. Although he kind of does what he does best, which is to overanalyze something until he's able to draw lines between unrelated things and make conclusions that are, at times, pretty wild stretches of logic. But that sort of shit seems perfect for trying to figure out Skinner Inc. But there is a bigger issue here. Which is the claim, that infamous claim to the title, Scariest Movie Ever. Many films in the past have claimed this over the years. And let me tell you, in my experience, they're never that scary. And they usually kind of suck. Because calling something the scariest movie ever is a marketing ploy. It's an attempt to get butts in seats, and honestly, it's kind of a telltale tactic that indicates the movie isn't very good. If it's a fantastic film that is genuinely scary, it will speak for itself. Word will get around. People will seek out your film. But if you know it's a steaming turd, but you need to recoup some of your losses billing it as the scariest movie ever never fails to draw a crowd now i'm moving on to other films that have previously claimed the very bold title of being the scariest movie ever made but just to go back to skidamaran for a second yes it was a mistake to say it's the scariest movie But for as hard as I rag on it, I don't actually think Kyle Edward Ball is a charlatan who made a cheap, shitty film. I think he really believed in it. That he put his heart and soul into it. It didn't take, at least for me, and I question Kyle's love of making depressing films about the psychological and physical torment of a four-year-old child... But I do believe that he had a vision, and he tried to bring that vision to life. I thought that that was worth saying. But now, let's get into these other films. Possibly the first movie to ever be billed as the scariest movie of all time was way back in 1932 with the film Freaks. And even back then, billing a film that way was a bluff. I don't know uh, to be fair maybe this was fucking terrifying from back in 1932 but today you could hardly call this scary at all horror yes scary no the horror isn't knowing how horribly treated freak show performers were i would say it's honestly more heartbreaking than scary a big part of the plot is that there's a sideshow runner who is also one of the freak show freaks himself. Uh, he has severe dwarfism, and he's played by Harry Earls, who was a well known sideshow performer at the time. He and his three sisters, who also had dwarfism, were collectively known as the Doll Family, and they were most famously cast as munchkins in The Wizard of Oz. But anyway, Harry Earls plays Hans, the freak show runner with dwarfism who falls in love with a beautiful trapeze artist named Cleopatra who is not a freak, but despite the constant casual insults he asks her to marry him. Now Cleopatra has a boyfriend and she's not interested in Hans anyway, but she finds out that he has just inherited a fortune. So she marries him and poisons his drink at the reception in an attempt to get his inheritance. Now, and this happens while the sideshow performers are doing this kind of strange but very sweet thing Where they're all taking sips of champagne out of the same giant champagne glass and singing and chanting about how they accept her even though she's not a freak and how they consider her one of them. One of us, one of us, we accept her, we accept her, one of us, one of us, we accept her, we accept her. But then she loses her shit and throws the giant champagne glass on all of them and rants about how she'll never be one of them, and how she's repulsed by the idea of being accepted by them. Hans is understandably heartbroken over this, but this only makes Cleopatra and her boyfriend laugh. Yes, her boyfriend is there at the wedding reception, and they even openly kiss and flirt in front of Hans. When Hans gets upset, Cleopatra's boyfriend scoops him up, and puts him on her shoulders she gives him a forced piggyback ride like he's a child Hans is in tears the other two are in hysterics laughing their asses off at it fucking horrible so yes while I would say that this film is a horror film it's really not scary at all the only scene you could consider is scary maybe for back in the 1930s is the scene at the end where all of the freak show performers and uh, they're, they're, they're surrounding Cleopatra and her boyfriend to exact revenge and they murder him and they mutilate her somehow so that she ends up being some kind of chicken woman like a chicken with a woman's head who is then put in the freak show. Like, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but okay. I mean, it had some shock value, I guess. I mean, they they actually paid homage to that in Season 4 of American Horror Story Freak Show, um, as this is what happens to the character Stanley at the end of the season. But, yeah, anyway, so... I know defenders of this movie will say that it really was the scariest movie ever made back. The thing about that is the whole movie is just a build up to the final scene if you want to consider this a scary movie. Otherwise it's just a sad movie that has one scary part of the end and it's not even that scary because you want to see Cleopatra and her boyfriend get their comeuppance. You're, re- you're rooting for the freak show performers. And I feel like that kind of detracts from the horror. I mean, honestly, I think that scene was awesome. I wanted to see the freaks kill them. I, want- I was rooting for it. Considering that, and the fact that 10 years earlier, a little film called Nosferatu came out. And a year before that, in 1921 was the cabinet the cabinet of dr caligari i think both of those films were significantly scarier than freaks like the cabinet of dr caligari has some interesting twists in it it's not that scary by today's standards damn it i think nosferatu is scary even today i think it holds up even today nosferatu has some scary moments in it in 19 fucking 20 across the board i think it's scarier than freaks there's just no argument about it the only way that freaks would scare you that much is if you are just terrified of people with deformities and if that's your deal like i kind of feel that says something not so great about you um (sighs) we're gonna move away from freaks now And we're going to move on to the next film, probably the most famous scariest movie ever claim. It was by Toby Hooper with his now famous horror essential classic, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think it's probably one of the only uh, movies that really deservedly claimed that title at the time. Scariest movie ever. Well, I don't think that it's quite over the top enough to truly fit into the extreme horror genre, it was so extreme for the time, it's responsible for at least, in part, for the rise of true extreme explo- exploitation horror that, uh, that rose up in the 1970s and the early 1980s. While its moments of terror are not considered as balls-to-the-wall insane by today's standards, there's still some unnerving shit in this film. For 74, I think the title of scariest ever was at least partially deserved. Of course, no movie can ever truly be the scariest ever because horror is extremely subjective. Like what scares one person stupid makes another person yawn or even laugh. So it's I feel like it is pointless ...to try and say definitively that one movie or another is the quote-unquote scariest ever. But, so like, with Japanese horror especially, The Ring and The Grudge... ...and yes, purists, I know that these are the Americanized versions... ...but the same goes for Ringu and Ju-on, the original Japanese versions... They were both billed at different times as the scariest movie ever. I didn't think The Ring was very scary, to be perfectly honest. And I know I'm kind of alone in this, because I know a lot of people really thought that movie was extremely scary. But I thought the whole concept of her coming through the TV screen was silly. Like I couldn't take it seriously. And then she kills you by scaring you to death? What? Like, what if you're not scared? What if you're more amazed by the situation that a person is coming through your television screen than terrified by it? Is that checkmate for Samara? Or does she have a plan B where she pulls out a big Looney Tunes mallet and bashes you over the head with it? The grudge... Okay, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that movie didn't scare me. Because, honestly, it did. It scared the shit out of me. It really did. The scariest ever? No. I No, I can't agree with that. And it was too sh- chock full of stupid shit. That was more weird and silly than scary. It's a ghost kid. Who meows like a cat? Ooh spoopy and shit like when like she's in the shower and the ghost is in her hair like what like say what now her hair is haunted or like in one of the later movies I think it was part 3 or part 4 where the ghost grabs the girl from inside her own hoodie like some people thought that was scary as shit I thought that was really dumb and didn't make any sense like the ghost was in her coat okay what what the fuck okay i've never been a fan of the trope where because it's a ghost movie anything can happen like it's just carte blanche it's ghosts so whatever the fuck it's it's all fair game ghosts being in the mix allows the filmmakers to do whatever dumb shit comes to mind and then pretend like ghosts make it happen makes sense like in Rose Red, where it, it starts raining spikes. How the fuck did that happen? Ghosts. Ghosts did it. They made they made it rain spikes. Why? How? Why? I don't know. I liked Rose Red, honestly. I'm drunk. Anyway. I guess if you're really freaked out by messed up faces, the ring was probably way scarier to you. Than it was to me, and the grudge had that creepy voice cracking sound going for it, like that was a spooky ass noise for a ghost to make. I'll give them that. That's but that's my issue with a lot of the Japanese horror films. There's always this degree of goofiness to them that reminds me. I mean, it reminds me of cartoons. Like I get. I get that it's a ghost, so it has less physical limitations than a corporeal human, but you're in the elevator and the ghost is on every floor you pass by. That is some Looney Tunes ass shit. Like I have expected one of those Scooby-Doo multi-door hallway chase scenes in these movies sometimes. Like, And it, just, it fucking ruins it for me because it's so fucking silly. It's silly as shit. I can't take it serious. But if you're one of those people where the improbability of it makes it scarier, then yeah, okay, I, I get how these movies would scare you more than most. Sure, why not? Why not? Then we come to extreme horror, which, like I said, was sort of kicked off by the Texas Chainsaw Massacre because... After that, there was a sort of, there was like this sort of arms race to make something more and more shocking and brutal and disgusting. And the, ro- the result were films like Cannibal Holocaust, Spit on Your Grave, Green Inferno, and Solo, and... That continues decades later with a Serbian film and Frontiers and Necromaniac and August Underground and Mortem. Like, just as an aside, even if you like extreme horror, for fuck's sake, don't watch a Serbian film. Hard to watch does not equal scary. That's my personal opinion, but if you know what a Serbian film is... If you know what it's about and you watch it anyway, shame on you. I'm not. I'm, I'm not saying that to be intriguing. Like I'm saying that as a true cautionary statement. If you are unaware of a Serbian film and you enjoy super extreme, like ripping out guts and eating them type of horror, where nothing is spared, this is still not something you're going to want to watch if you do know what it's about hopefully you've had the good judgment not to watch it and if you watched it anyway i would like to know what exactly is wrong with you and i'll call Chris Hansen on your sick ass so to me none of these films qualify as the scariest movie ever Because just because they show shocking things or use Guinness record levels of blood splatter does not mean the movie was scary. Gross does not equal scary. And that's actually something that we're going to talk about a lot in an upcoming episode. But in the main, gross does not equal scary. I'm talking to you, David Cronenberg professor monster porn for fuck's sake gross does not equal scary i feel like if gross equals scary to you then the scariest movie ever is just the most recent film to outdo the last super gross out movie anyway there are a few films that kind of skirt the edge of extreme horror where i wouldn't put them entirely in that category They have more of a compelling story to them, and honestly, these are some of the more legitimate contenders for the scariest movie ever made. One is Bone Tomahawk, which has some hard-to-watch scenes in it, but it also has a lot of paranoia and dread in it, and from the get-go, the situation seems dire and it only gets more and more dire as the film goes on while survival and redemption still seems plausible it you know it keeps hope alive but hanging on by an ever thinning thread that really keeps the situation tense uh, the other is a french film called martyrs which starts out pretty extreme And about halfway through, it takes a sharp and very what-the-fuck-left turn. It was regarded by many as the scariest film ever made, at least in part for its ambiguous ending. A lot of people thought this was the scariest, most brilliant movie, and it was an absolute masterstroke in the movie this way. And I thought it was good, but pretty overhyped and really as scary as people made it out to be that's a discussion for the next episode to me as i've said all along scary movies are the ones with plenty of dread paranoia and tension throughout there have to be actual scary things can't just be a perpetual threat that never pays off or rarely does or they save it up for one big scare at the end like a little splash of disturbing is a must honestly I don't think I can really give any movie the title of scariest so anyway it's really hard to nail down any one movie as the scariest movie ever to me and I honestly think it's an impossible task In my adult life Four stand out as having Seriously unsettled me And I think they might be My personal picks For scariest movies ever made And I'm sure Lots of people will disagree Those four movies Are John Carpenter's The Thing Ridley Scott's Alien Toby Hooper's Original The Texas Chainsaw Massacre And Sam Raimi's Original The Evil Dead if you put a gun to my head and made me pick the scariest one out of those four, I guess I would have to pick the thing, but not an easy choice. So all of these films considered, I don't see how anyone can watch haddock shots of a dark wall and a TV. Yes, this shit is the scariest movie of all time. Anyway, I'm sure I pissed a lot of people off of this one. But hey, you know, that's what I do. It's what I do best. That's the Eddie V's Horror Show way. <laughs> That'll about do it for this one, folks. If you haven't checked out my merch store, check it out. I got some good shit in there. My My website has been down for a little bit, and as of right now, I think it's probably still down. But it should be back online in a day or two. I know I keep threatening to put more videos out on YouTube, but I finally have another one coming down the pipe, so keep an eye out for that. And of course, if you haven't thought about it yet, please consider throwing me a couple of bucks over on Patreon, patreon.com slash edwardvillanova. Anyway, that is episode 55 in the books, folks. Stay tuned for episode number 56, and until then, as always... Stay creepy.